He's from Northern California, which makes him my enemy. <laughs> There's a really great paragraph in here about uh, the difference between Northern Californians and Southern Californians and the intellectualism of the North versus the lols of the South that I um, really understand. Also, on that note, he captured going to college in California absolutely perfectly because yeah. I went to school in California. That was spot on. He has a few photos in here and I was like, that looks exactly like every kid I went to school with. Yeah. Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is Alec Pakin, lover of Cinderella stories and a good friend of mine. She was also here in Richmond for this recording, so it was a lot of fun to do this episode in person, and we really hope you enjoy it. Now, before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the books we review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish this book and come right back to this episode. But if you're just here for the fun-loving conversation, then welcome. Whether you want to read one, none, or all of these books, the choice is up to you. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience just purely two opinionated amateur readers. You may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to, no matter how you like your books. You can tell us your opinions and hot takes of these books on our Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. That's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read Stay True by Washu. Alrighty. Ella, welcome to our first ever in-person Red Wine Reads episode. It's a true, true honor. Hi. I'm so excited you're here. Jenna and I have met each other in person now for two days going. It's still a dissociative experience. It really is. I only know her as living in a computer, so I didn't realize she actually had a home. Yeah, we've known each other since, I guess it's a year and a bit. A year and a bit. And it's been exclusively through a computer. I was saying earlier today that it's like a, um, it's like online dating. Can I recommend that everyone uh, have an online friend? Because then the buildup of meeting them in person is just like, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. And then you have Ella who comes in hot. It's coming in at 6 p.m. and takes about 15 minutes to try to parallel park. Listen, my weakness is parking. I It's called eight and a half hours on the road. It's been a real journey to get to where we are tonight specifically tonight because it's taken us about an hour for us to figure out how to do two microphones at one time yeah and we did it well really jenna did it it took only like what six pieces of software before we figured it out totally and also if i sound different tonight it's because i finally purchased a microphone after yes count them almost 11 months of doing this podcast and being entirely using my computer audio which as many of you will know definitely had a fan and definitely required me to sound tinny as hell i got a yeti so everybody can shut up and hear me loud and clear now tin man no more (laughs) (laughs) exactly i didn't want the nickname to stick Okay. Okay, let's dive right in. What are we reading? We're reading Stay True by Hua Xu. This book is a memoir. It is a recent publish, and it takes place in California, Northern California, mostly in uh, UC Berkeley territory. Uh, Yeah, it's Northern California in the 90s, which really, can you get any cooler? 
No is the answer to that. No, you cannot. So I actually do have a few fun facts about this book and about Huashu. Excellent. Um, So a few quick facts. This was named one of the New York Times top 10 books of the year in 2022. Wild. There was a New York Times review that stated, this is a memoir that gathers power through accretion. Is it accretion? Never heard that word in my life. So Uh, all those moments and gestures that constitute experience, the bits and pieces that cult coalesce into a life. Those are some big words coming from New York Times. And they're right. They're totally right. Not to spoil my opinion. I think just the idea of it gathering power throughout reading it is so true. And then just a few quick facts about Huashu. Uh, he's a staff writer at The New Yorker. His work includes investigations of immigrant culture in the United States, as well as public perceptions of diversity and multiculturalism. And he also wrote another book called A Floating China Man, Fantasy and Failure Across the Pacific. And that one was published in 2016. I feel like I need to go read that Yeah. yeah. now. No, it was really weird because so... I I uh, I chose this book. Why am I explaining this so horribly? I work at a bookstore. <laughs> Shout out to the Golden Notebook. And Hua was doing a signing. And I had like heard of the book because of the New York Times. But I don't usually pay attention to top 10 lists. Maybe I should now that I'm on this podcast. But I had the fortune of meeting him. And he was just so immediately the coolest person ever that I was like, there's no way you haven't written a book that I'm going to freaking love. So getting to read it, it was totally the, the experience that I was hoping for. Yeah. Like even if a book takes off with the New York Times, I rarely see it make it into other parts of the paper that then I feel like I have to check it out. But this book, just was so big, so fast. It just, it feels so rare with books. And especially because this is only his second book. It's just, it's kind of a phenomenal thing to have it be such a phenomenon. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I actually didn't know anything about this book before you recommended it. And then I went to Barnes and Noble and I tried to pick it up and they had like seven copies and all seven copies were on hold. Wow. (laughs) And so it was like, all right, well, I guess people are reading this book. (laughs) Pretty big flex. It's like a pretty big flex. (laughs) Yeah, he's... He's around. Alrighty, well, let's hop into the summary and then we'll hop into uh, hop into the rest. <laughs> let's hop in. <laughs> Here's the summary. In the eyes of 18-year-old Huashu, the problem with Ken, with his passion for Dave Matthews, Abercrombie and Fitch, and his fraternity, is that he's exactly like everyone else. Ken, whose Japanese-American family has been in the United States for generations, is mainstream. For Hua, the son of Taiwanese immigrants who make zines and haunts Bay Area record shops, Ken represents all that he defines himself in opposition to. The only thing that Hua and Ken have in common is that, however they engage with it, American culture doesn't seem to have a place for either of them. But despite his first impressions, Hua and Ken become friends, a friendship built on late-night conversations over cigarettes, long drives along the California coast, and the successes and humiliations of everyday college life. And then, violently, senselessly, Ken is gone. Killed in a carjacking, not even three years after the day they first met. Determined to hold on to all that was left of one of his closest friends, his memories, Hua turns to writing. Stay True is the book that he's been working on ever since, a coming-of-age story that details both the ordinary and the extraordinary. Stay True is a bracing memoir about growing up and about moving through the world in search of meaning and belonging. Beautiful. Like, also, just that summary is so good. (laughs) I know. I mean, I really... That is so accurate, the build-up of power thing, because... 
when I started reading this, I was like, oh, okay, it's a coming of age story about college and all that comes with it, which I was not complaining about. That's my favorite kind of story is a coming of age story. But when Ken died, he was able to capture how jarring the experience was. And obviously, readers could never understand the actual pain of that loss. But you felt blindsided. And you kind of never recover from that. And then you spend the rest of the novel feeling that grief, like the the kind of cloud that comes with grief and, and the need to pick up the pieces that he had. And it really turns from this kind of buildings Roman, <laughs> to throw in a unique term, into being this super intense, just beautiful, almost poem of a book yeah even just in my goodreads review i just said like this was the perfect memoir in every way because a lot of people think memoirs are like supposed to take over your take place of someone's entire life but i think memoirs are meant to capture this important moment in someone's life of in hua's case it's capturing this friendship that kind of determined how like kind of shaped how he was going to like go about the rest of his life and to make such a deep connection with someone that you wouldn't think that you would make a deep connection with and to have him taken away so suddenly before you can really dive into that friendship like he kind of talks about Ken like you were just starting to get to know him like you were just starting to become really good friends with him and like starting to realize that this was a good friendship and then all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah, he has that line, which of course I'm paraphrasing, but he has that line near the end of the book as he's sort of entering this later stage of his life. And he's basically just talking about, I I don't know Ken at this point. Ken will never be this old. He'll never get to travel through time with me. He will always be stuck there and I will always be continuing. Obviously, that's a point that's been made before, but it's said in a way that you kind of rethink. I had a question in here that uh, kind of struck me as I was reading this because I was reading this and his friendship with Ken really resonated with me because I feel like that was almost a very similar relationship I had in college with my friend Claire. And I mean, gratefully, she's still with me and we're still very good friends. But it was one of those situations where it took really one meeting and I was like seeing her from afar and I was like, I don't know if we would really connect. And yet we bonded on such a deep level and just having a friend that you kind of fall fast and deep for yeah, in a way. And like, I know for Ken and Hua was a little bit more of that slow burn, but it was almost as if like once Hua realized that Ken was kind of his person, it was like a very fast, oh, now he's, you know, the most important person in my life and he's gone. I have the same thing. My best friend from uni is someone who majored in a science. I majored in history. They like do not care about anything that I care about pop culturally and except for like a couple of things but I cannot imagine my life without them shout out Maya love you deeply but that was kind of the point that I think struck me more than anything is that yes this is about grief yes this is a coming of age story but I have never read a novel about friendship that is like this it describes the romance of friendship and just the total encompassing love of friendship in a way that's normally reserved exclusively for for the love of a partner. And so to have him validate the experience that 
we all hopefully have, but don't really kind of give as much credit to as we do our romantic relationships was just really refreshing. It's like, yeah, these are people who are crucial to our lives and we should be valuing them and and remembering them and giving them as much respect and love and loyalty as we do the people who we choose to be romantic with. They're as important. No, I agree. And I think he captures this idea of friendship existing outside the bounds of time. Mm -hmm. He captures that idea of like, like you said, falling fast and hard for a friend and having that friendship exist outside of the bounds. You kind of start to experience it for the first time in college where you're making friends and these are going to be like lifetime friends, but it happens within the course of a few cigarettes. (laughs) And it's like those conversations because you finally get to the point where you're able to have these deep seated conversations about morals and values and you're able to communicate that with other people. Whereas in you're growing up with friends and you're bonding over sports and you're bonding over, you know, whose carpool lane you're in on a Monday morning. And it's a very interesting time because these kids are starting to grow up and they're starting to kind of figure out their own selves. And even with Hua, you know, trying to be the cool kid, I related so freaking much to the idea of like when he, when somebody would be like, oh, well, do you know like this artist? And he'd be like, yeah, of course I do. I did that. <laughs> Yeah, and just not knowing a thing about them. The other thing I related so hard to, too, was him talking about him being in the car and just playing a song so that someone will go, wow, what's this song? (laughs) Just to impress other people. But that was kind of also, I mean, obviously he did this intentionally because he's clearly a brilliant writer, but it's the really interesting dynamic of when you're a person who has built their entire lives around pop culture and then you become friends with someone whose pop culture means nothing to you and you have to admit that actually friendship is not built on these things that you've given so much weight to. It's built on so much more than that. And so it's just really funny to hear him bitching about like how much he hates Ken's sports obsessions or all of that. And in reality, he just absolutely loves Ken. And that matters so little, but he just and and then, by the way, once Ken's passed, he holds on to his sports caps and he holds on to every remnants that he, remnant that he can that he used to stick his nose up at. And it just t- takes on a whole new meaning. It's just it's a really good lesson in like, it's just not that important at the end of the day to like David Bowie, is it? It's fun, but it's not it's not life defining. Yeah. You know, we always try to, especially at that age, try to like one up our friends And you get to the point where you realize, oh, I can say, I don't know this person. I can say, well, you have your thing. I have my thing. And it's an interesting place where Hua is coming from because he's writing this and he has gotten to the point that he can look back at himself and he can kind of laugh at himself. And it's kind of interesting to think like, but he can't do that with Ken. And like, Ken can't do that. And it's like, where would their relationship have been? Yeah. And but also I thought it was a really great acknowledgement him saying we might we might not have been friends still. We may have drifted out of each other's lives, but it's the fact that he would still have been there. I can't imagine having someone murdered because there there is no meaning to that. So it's this thing that you have to reconcile that is so hard when when we're told our whole lives that the universe has some sort of meaning and then something like that happens and and you have to reevaluate completely and 
what's great is that he's able, probably because he is at such a distance from it now, is that he's able to say, this was a person that I cared deeply about. It doesn't mean that we would have stayed equally as important to each other our whole lives, but he will always be there. That mere fact kind of is able to make up for the questioning and loss and just total confusion that was the death. Yeah, I I pulled up um, one of the quotes from the book and he said, the present was a drag. We lived for the future. Youth is a pursuit of this kind of small immortality. He did such a great job at describing that juxtaposition of you're starting off college and you're so excited because this is like the start of your future. You're going to college. It's the start of your life. And it's almost unfathomable to think that that would be cut short. You're at that age where you've maybe seen a few people from your school, you know, from your high school that have maybe died. You have like these little glimpses of that. But for the most part, you're just like, a, you know, everyone's saying you're just a young, dumb kid doing your thing. And this part that struck me was when they're driving to the funeral and the guy in the van, the driver in the van's like, oh, where are you guys going? And then he tells him and it's just like, oh, God, because you see a bunch of young kids and you wouldn't think they're going to the funeral of their friend. Yeah, no, because they shouldn't be. Yeah. It's almost like he's living in alternate history because none of this should have happened. And so you have to basically realize that you're in an unreality and an unthinkable reality. But also, I just I, th- I found his obsession with history and historical concepts and the idea of history is not objective. History is the opinion of one person and, and whose opinions you agree with. And he's very aware of the fact that he's now been tasked voluntarily with writing Ken's history and writing their history. And that is not something that you can take lightly. So how do you approach that? How do you how do you say the weight of Ken's funeral? You pick that one moment with the driver. What are the things that you remember? You remember being in the car with your friends. You remember his his cap that he used to wear all the time. You remember these really specific things. And I think that's also you can tell it's structured so specifically and every word is so careful because it all carries so much weight. He, It's not just for him, it's for Ken. So it just feels like a book unlike any other book because it's been so combed over and so delicately chosen that you read every word fully in it and and you read it with such equal weight. And I never do that with a book. You're never looking at every single word in a sentence the same way. You're going like, oh, okay, that's kind of a glaze over paragraph. But, you know, I it, but I never did that once with this book. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. It, it was like every single paragraph had a purpose. Yeah. And that's why I said it was a perfect memoir. There was nothing in there that seemed just thrown in there. This felt like a book 20 years in the making. And I think it was fascinating when he touched on how Ken, like he was like, I knew Ken as like one of my best friends. But there are these people at this funeral that like knew him from the frat, that knew him from sports, that knew him from childhood. And he's like, I started to realize like, did everyone know Ken the way I knew Ken? (laughs) That almost insecurity of like, he had a great quote when he was talking in the car and he's opening up to Ken kind of for the first time about, you know, his music and his song. And he's trying to be all pretentious about the songs and Ken's just letting him talk. (laughs) And he goes, I appreciated that he was too kind to put me out of my misery and point out my insecurities. Maybe this is what it meant to be known, this feeling of being exposed and transparent. 
I think when you are that deep with someone and you have and you're sharing in this moment, especially when they're killed so suddenly and then you have to question you're like wait I just like opened up to him like did we were we actually friends you know you get that insecurity or at least I get that insecurity if I ever open up to someone on a very deep level and like will they still like me are we still friends yeah and to almost have that feeling at someone's funeral I know he like processes it in a different way but still it was powerful to like read that put into words totally and it's also the thing of being aware that you had a relationship with ken that nobody else could have because you're you and they're them but by the same token i remember there specifically being a sentence about one of ken's closest girlfriends friends who is a girl not not a girlfriend and hua mentioning that ken was more vulnerable with her and kind of more emotionally aware with her than he ever was with hua and what does that mean for his relationship with Hua? What what could Hua not have given? But I think it's also a, an appreciation of the fact that Ken was everybody to everyone and how fascinating and great that all these different people get to come together and sort of piece together this puzzle of this human being that Hua actually had a very singular perspective of. And actually, it brings up the fact that really us as people only do know other people as we see them. So kind of in death, you get this very holistic perspective of a person that you don't really get when they're alive. So he's able to add to that history purely because he did have so many other people that he could go to and and find out about this other person. Yeah, I mean, it's a trick in journalism that you're taught on your very first day of journalism class. As journalists, you're telling one version of the truth and you're trying to gather as many versions of the truth to create the closest version to the truth as possible. But you're never going to get what happened because people have their biases. There's so many factors. And when you're taking that into account of somebody's personality, those things where if you're hanging out with someone and somebody points out one little thing that they do and then that's all you can see, it's kind of like gathering those tiny little details that everyone has mentioned and kind of compiling them into this image of Ken. It was just unparalleled. Like I've never seen somebody create a character, so to say, as well as Hua did. Yeah, that's very, very true. Because also you feel like you know Ken. Yeah. Ken feels so well-rounded, and that's only because Hua is able to make him that way. I don't know how he did this. <laughs> it's so masterful. Yeah, I think I'll end it on this, or at least my my section on this, unless, do you have anything else? Well, the only other thing that we didn't really touch on, the immigrant experience that he describes, because both of his parents are from Taiwan, and then he is born and raised in America, which he just describes as feeling incredibly isolating. You know, he's so abrasive to Ken because he describes resenting Ken's ability to kind of blend in and his refusal to let his immigrant family status force him into an alternative zone. We all feel so isolated at a certain point in our lives, but I heard on a podcast recently, shout out to the Sideways episode of The Rewatchables, which really apparently has changed my life because I brought it up so much this week. They talk about in that episode that it's the most hyper-specific experiences that end up being the most broadly relatable. Even though we are not all from Taiwanese immigrant families, Hua is able to tap into that very deep sense of isolation and loneliness that every single human being goes through, especially when they're 18 years old and entering a new zone, whether that be college, whether that be work, whether that be just flailing, and make it widely translatable and 
at the same time simultaneously incredibly personal. So it's like a total window into his own soul and also makes you reflect back on the moments when you felt helpless and when you felt alone and what a friend can do for you in that moment, especially a friend with a different perspective. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think um, shout out to Dean Nelson really making an appearance in this episode, my journalism professor. You know, in my narrative nonfiction class, that was the one thing that he kept harping on is like, you're not going to tell a universal story by telling a universal story. You have to be specific. And that's how you're going to relate to people. If you just tell a broad, this happened, you're not going to get this same like visceral reaction that people are getting to this book and like really connecting with these people. And um, I was like, I wonder if I pulled any quotes that touches on this topic. He said, uh, my parents weren't drawn to the United States by any specific dream, just a chance for something different. Even then they understood that American life is unbound promise and hypocrisy, faith and greed, new spectrums of joy and self-doubt, freedom enabled by enslavement, all of these things at once. I guess also that's the other part of this book is that he's able to wrestle with the insane contradiction of the existence of America as a land of both opportunity and oppression in a way that, I mean, he just doesn't sugarcoat anything, which is just incredibly cool. Well, if you you think about it, he's kind of living this juxtaposition himself. I just like that he just plainly says it's a daily wrestle with our sense of morality and with just your position in this country. I also just want to say excellent California opinions. He's from Northern California, which makes him my enemy. (laughs) But he really, there's a really great paragraph in here about uh, the difference between Northern Californians and Southern Californians and the intellectualism of the North versus the lols of the South that I um, really understand and I uh, really related to. So, And I think also on that note, he captured going to college in California absolutely perfectly because yeah. I went to school in California. That was spot on. He has a few photos in here and I was like, that looks exactly like every kid I went to school with. Yeah. Okay. Before we go into our final ratings, I'll end on this quote because this just, I feel like encapsulate his writing ability and it hit hard with me. This is when he's talking about kind of navigating through the grief and he's trying to, you know, figure out what to do now that Ken is gone and how to kind of dig through the memories to actually find the good and to try to capture Ken's presence. And so he says, your consciousness was like a city and you scavenged and searched for treasured memories of better days. Or maybe memory is more of a fire than a city. It's uncontrollable, fickle, and destructive. Because that's the thing also is that memory is impermanent and it's always shifting. You're never going to real remember the real thing. So how do you, how do you create some truth out of that? Stay true. There it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, let's get into final ratings. Yeah, let's do it. I gave it a five out of five. This, again, perfect memoir. Nailed it. <laughs> I said it was deeply personal, self-aware, well-researched, and showcases the writer's personality while connecting with readers who opened his book. It's a beautiful story about growing up and about friendship. It's also a heart-wrenching book about grief and loss and navigating, navigating through that as a young kid. Yeah, I also give it a five out of five. I have never read a book with such a specific voice. I've never read a book about friendship in this way. Like I said, I love a good memoir. I love a great memoir. And this is just far surpassed most of the memoirs I've ever read. So way to go, Hua. And I just think that he deserves all of the accolades and praise that he is getting because, wow, the man can write. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) 
I was going to say, any book you come out with while you have a lifetime reader. Alrighty, well, uh, let's get into pairings. Let's do it. Okay, I was very worried that we were going to have the same pairing for one thing. I have two TV shows, two movies, and then one book, so okay, I think we're going to be okay. Okay, go forth. Okay, well, my drink is going to be PBR. My drink was going to be PBR. <laughs> Pabst. Uh, that's just college. I just said cheap beer. Yeah, PBR is just college. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. My TV show was Never Have I Ever. I feel like Never Have I Ever is just a great story of growing up and like navigating through friendships, navigating through relationships in a very funny and comical way, but also navigating through that immigrant culture um, of being first generation in a country and trying to kind of fit in with the kids, with the American kids. So it's just a... It's a great show. I freaking love it. <laughs> I did Wednesday as well um, because that friendship dynamic, I feel like, is very similar to Ken and Hua in terms of, you know, Wednesday's very, like, indie, trying to be on her own path, <laughs> which is Hua. And then I feel like her roommate is just this very bubbly, wants to be friends with everyone, is very into, like, pop culture. And there you go. <laughs> My book is The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. That's a great story of just growing up and trying to move to a new country and trying to make a life for yourself and kind of just navigating that. I think it's a very beautiful story about growing up. And so if you're looking for a similar, and also the writing in that is just like superb, made me cry. <laughs> and then my movies are a little bit all over the place, but Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Adventure. Okay. Love it. D- okay. Because that is a beautiful story about friendship. Fact. <laughs> Beautiful story about friendship. And then everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, that was the one that I thought that we were both going to recommend. It's very topical right now. Yeah, so good. It's so it's so good. It's a Chinese immigrant family. And it's basically just the concept of like time travel, but around depression and anxiety. Yeah. Sorry, now that I'm thinking about it, everything I never told you by Celeste Ng about a Chinese American family and their daughter dies. Ooh. And the first line of that book is Lydia's dead. <gasps> Best first line of a book I've ever read. It tells like the story of like a father's grief, a mother's grief, uh, a sibling's grief. And it's like all these different angles and how they're intertwined. That's actually, that's the book. Okay. That's the book. Everything Everywhere, I feel like doesn't, I mean, it doesn't deal with death, but it definitely harps on like, because of the daughter of it all, it just, it feels so like like such a realistic portrayal of just what it is to be young and not know what you're doing yes and then what that can turn into and spiral into when you don't have anyone to talk about it or support you okay well my drink was also just any cheap beer because that's college baby and then i also said everything everywhere my other movie is reality bites which i'm absolutely sure that i've also recommended already but I just got to shout it out again because was it made in the 90s? Absolutely. Is it peak 90s fashion and music and vibes? 100%. Is it also about four friends from college who have just graduated and don't know what they're doing with their lives? 100%. Is Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke in it? Yeah. Okay, guys. Have I not sold it to you enough yet? It was written by a 20-year-old woman and she's awesome. Helen Childress, shout out. Okay? So please go watch Reality Bites. I beg of you. I literally beg of viewed sorry i feel really passionate about that movie you put rage music underneath that (laughs) it's megadeth my tv show is my so-called life because it is a almost lost to time thank god we found it again uh claire danes 
first big role other than Romeo and Juliet. I don't know which came first, but it was made in the late 90s and it's one season and it's about a girl who is, I believe, a freshman or a sophomore in high school and she has a crush on Jordan Catalano, played by Jared Leto, a very young, hot Jared Leto who looks nothing like Jared Leto looks today, let me tell you something. And it's basically just about navigating being a teenager in the 90s and again, peak fashion, talking pattern sweater vests. I'm talking ginger bobs. I'm talking so many headbands and braids. But also it was a really unique show because her friends are very sex positive and one of her friends is queer and it's just like a really forward thinking show for the time and dealt with I think some of the things that television did not want to talk about and the world did not necessarily want to talk about when it came to young people and their lives. So um, huge shout out to everything that Claire Danes is. Really hope she's doing okay. She seems kind of stressed out post-Homeland era. And then my book that I'll finish on is Persepolis, which is a graphic novel by Marjan Satrapi that was, I when was it written? 2000. 2000. Okay. I read it when I was like eight or nine. Um, but which when I tell you what it's about, you're gonna be like, really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's a graphic novel. It originally came out in two parts and uh, now they've put it into one, but it's an autobiographical graphic novel about Marjan Satrapi's life growing up in Iran and the Iranian revolution and basically being a rebellious teen and trying to have a life as a woman in a society that you don't necessarily agree with. And it again is it, it, I, I thought of it because like this book, it's a memoir unlike any other memoir that's ever been written because of how it's told, but also because it's basically the perspective of a revolution from an 11 year old girl. And you're watching her go from being like 10. And then by the end of the second book, I think she's in her thirties and you get to meet her parents and you get to meet her friends and you get to meet her lovers and all of these people. But it's, you're basically growing up with her and there's a lot of death and there's a lot of turmoil and there's a lot of different things that happen that that make her and you very confused. But it's such an accurate portrayal of growing up. And it's also just fascinating if you are like me and don't know a lot about the Iranian revolution. I didn't when I was nine. Um, I don't know about you guys. It's also been turned into a fabulous movie, but I really, really recommend Persepolis. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Well, on that note. On that note. Bye. <laughs> Peace out. We're going to go hang out in the same room, suckers. Ew. <laughs> Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. Again, that's at r-w-r-e-a-d-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at rwreadspodcast on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all. <laughs>